welcome to another episode of Failing Forward. As always, like, comment, share, subscribe, tell people about how you enjoy the podcast. I'm here with Dana Dute, who I've known for about 15 years. This is one of those cases where you can say my very good friend Dana Dute, and it actually is true. Yeah, so many times like an MC. I say I lie all the time. Yeah, that my stuff. very good friend looks at an index card. <laughs> yeah. You know, I love when they do that and they just pronounce the name wrong. Yeah, that's the best. Oh, I had, I had a host once who... Like, he, like, insisted on being the one to introduce me. It was a college gig. Yeah. And he goes up, and he, like, waxes poetic about how close friends we are. <laughs> and then he goes, is Jeff ready? And I go, my name's Steve, buddy. <laughs> no way. Yeah. That is very good. There's a, and, and then he even tries to pass it off, and he goes, oh, oh, sorry, I have a, I have a friend named, named Jeff Hofstetter. I was yeah. like, no, there's a quarterback named Jeff Hofstetter, and that's why you thought of that. Can I just start, please? I was introducing my other friend, but apparently it's Steve. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was, yeah, apparently some other guy is doing the show. Anyway, uh, you might recognize Dan from a myriad of television that you've done. Um, you've done The Tonight Show. Uh, you're also a regular on Cobra Kai, mm-hmm. uh, which I love that show. It's so good. Yes, it's the best. Um, yeah, I haven't even gotten to watch season two yet, which is um, crazy. You know, apparently they're going to let you see them all for free now. They've decided to not charge people. I have waited purposefully. <laughs> no, I just have just been so crazy busy, and it's kind of a show that there's a couple comics that I tour with that we like watch on the road together. Oh yeah, and so yeah, like it's that's a great how we show. started watching it. It's if you were a fan of the Karate Kid, this is a must watch. Yeah, oh, it's so much fun. It's the perfect mix of like camp and nostalgia, and yeah. also actual plotline. Yeah, I mean the writers are. Are like you know John Hurwitz, Hayden Schlossberg, and Josh Hill. They created Hot Tub Time Machine. They created um, Harold and Kumar. Yeah, they're like real deal like writers. Yeah, and they're so, they're great. Yeah, no, the storylines are amazing. It's 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 fascinating. Yeah. So we go back to, <clears throat> I think we became friends probably at NACA. Uh, probably yeah, I yeah. think so. Um, we had the same. Uh, we have still, I think, the same uh, touring agent for colleges. Yeah, and uh, so we used to. So NACA is this organization where like comedians go. I mean, all kinds of artists go to basically be bought by colleges. Yeah, it's sort of a trade show where uh, anywhere from uh, beat poets to jugglers to like weird people that just like have like cages full of reptiles and they're like your students can come and touch the reptiles yeah it's like, so we, we, weird we just pander in front of these college students to try to get them to book us because and they're all like kind of socially awkward college students and I, they I'd say it's a split it's like half people who are like super awkward yeah and are like leadership yay yeah <laughs> and then half people who are like I get a free trip to Houston let's do this yeah but full people who are in control of like tens of millions of dollars yes and they just kind of divvy it out. And you and I were such hustlers because we would just take them all out for like for like a beer or like a drink. And yeah. they'd be like, these guys are great. We're going to give them thousands of dollars now. <laughs> yeah. It was Well, basically, we realized that like the best way you sell to them is to actually be friendly. Yeah. Yeah. We were such hustlers. I feel like you're still that much of a hustler. I've probably... I probably died down a little. Like we would just like stand in hallways and wait for people to walk by us and be like, "Hey, yeah, you wanna, you what's wanna, up? What school are you at? You want to listen to my clip? N- Nebraska? I love Nebraska. <laughs> Let's talk about it. You Ooh, know, that was a, that was that was. I'm I'm in awe of our hustle. I don't think I've been to Anaka in uh, might be. Might be eight years now. Well, you beat the system. You constantly beat the system. You find out the system. You master the system, and then you beat the system. That's the Steve Hofstetter. That's going to be on his <laughs> fucking tombstone. He came. He saw. He mastered. 
And he Steve laughs at her. Yeah, I mean, at some point, I'll probably go back to a NACA now that I have like an actual following. Yeah, well, you're gonna like end up easier. buying NACA somehow. Oh, it's no. gonna be like Steve Hofstetter presents NACA. I don't want any part of that. It's such a weird. The, I don't want to be responsible for the guy with the reptile cage. Yeah. Has anyone said anything about the KKK reference uh, in your hat here? M- my mother actually <laughs> was giving me shit about it. You're the first person to say something that was not my mother. Look at that. It's a dunce cap. Yeah. Okay. All right, you know what? Maybe we dunce. need to change it to and uh, and make it just say dunce so that no one says that. But do you think that the KKK looks like that? I feel like that's probably how the alt right refers to KKK hoods. They're like, "Did you bring your dunce cap?" Yeah. yeah oh man. yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, I I don't see that. It is clearly a paper cap. I mean, in these in these polarizing times, all I see is. Uh... I don't think the KKK owns a suit. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. You're like, yeah, you're like a. Lady in the streets, but KKK in the sheets. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> every KKK is in the sheets. That's true. So. That is true. All right. Uh, by the way, the people who are just listening in audio have no idea what we're talking oh, about. And that's, oh, Because, well, well, we do both. I okay. just think that's hilarious. Well, just, you know, go on and watch the video. Yeah, and you'll, check out you'll the, or see. see the logo. Well, they probably see the logo on their podcast that's app anyway. That's not incentive of, uh, enough for you to see what Steve would look like if he was in the KKK. Yeah, now I don't you know, know what it is. You yeah. got to look at the video. So, okay. So, uh, you know, we're rising comics together. Yeah. And a conversation I had with you is one of the things that made me want to start this podcast. Okay, I love that. So we were catching up. We probably hadn't seen each other for a couple of years, and we were having lunch or coffee or forget what it was, and you told me a story about you filmed an entire season of a sitcom yeah. that never aired. Yeah, so, um, you know, I feel like as comics, we are, there comes a point where we need to figure out what our next move is. Yeah. Because we're like, you know, for me and you, I think it was the college fatigue of doing like, I think for three years I was the highest booked college comedian in the country. I was doing like 165 a year. Jeez. It was crazy. And then um, I remember uh, I was like, I need to act. Like, I need to get on a show. That's just how this has to work. And then I, and then so you start doing these auditions where you are just, uh, it's a cattle call basically. And you go into these auditions and it's like winning the lottery if you can get on a show. It's yeah. unbelievable. And I did it. And I got on this show called Friend Me. It was a CBS show. And um, there were these two co-creators who created it. And the, it was the producers were the producers who created Two and a Half Men. Like this was like the it show. Getting on a show is one thing. A show getting picked up is you're, you're winning the lottery and getting struck by lightning at the same time. Yeah. And the show got picked up. But in a good way. You're getting yes. struck by lightning yeah. in a good way. Like a, like, like a, uh, just a let's subtle Let's say winning the lottery in a hole-in-one, maybe. Yes, let's okay. do that. That's probably so like better. A, like, a, like a good thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. both getting struck by lightning and being mauled by a bear at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. Yeah. So um, then, uh, so the show gets picked up and then you start getting, you know, the, the press person and the PR people and like, you know, you get these speeches from your agents and managers where they're like, your life is going to change, get ready. And, you know, you start filming it and then like, you know, you start getting recognized and there's hotter girls who are looking at you, you know, who are like come to the tapings and you're like, oh, my God, this is insane. And then six episodes in uh, the creator committed suicide. One of the two, cre- the, the two creators commit suicide. Yeah. And it was a jarring thing for everyone. Uh and he was this really beloved guy who can't would, believe he didn't consider what uh, what would affect you before. I'm kidding. <laughs> How dare he? Obviously, I'm kidding. No, no. I mean, it was 
you know, you're kidding, but in a weird way, after the dust settles, you kind of, th- and this is not painting me in a good light, but <laughs> or painting or painting humans in a good light, but but after a while, what happened was I was definitely like, so so well, ultimately, what happened was we filmed the the like nine three more episodes, and then uh, it was a great show, and the writers were great, and the episodes were great, and then they just decided not to air it you know it was a cbs show cbs likes to have a really good you know crisp clean image and i think they just didn't want a suicide on their on because that was what everybody was going to talk about yeah so they and decided the not way, to air it and to clarify i i know i know what you're saying the idea of like obviously someone doing that is horrifically tragic and no, it's I'll, awful. I'll circle around to that don't yeah. worry i'm gonna make myself look okay in that but right, oh, and also help. i'm just gonna make myself look human because it's like you know we slog in these careers for, at that point, I think I was f- 13 years in the game, yeah. traveling around like crazy. You try to make a transition. And as an actor, I did everything right. I, I went in for the role, I got the role. The, I got on the show that got picked up. The show was, was um, you know, in tests and stuff. It was, it was raiding through the roof. Like, I did everything right, and then basically someone else's suicide just derailed the whole project. And it was so jarring to me that after that moment, I was like, and I don't mean this to sound coy, but I was just like, I only want my suicide to be the only <laughs> thing that can affect my career. Oh, I swear. Oh, God. And that's when oh, I, my God. I swear. And, and, and again, I don't mean that to sound funny. I, I literally was like, I can't be a cog. Funny in wasn't project. the word that I think most people would. <laughs> no, I, 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 you, I had that moment where I was like, I just don't want to be a cog in someone else's project. Right, you're saying you don't want to rely on anybody but yourself. Yeah, and and let's face it, like it's something where, like, look, mental illness is a horrible, horrible thing, and no one, no one kills themselves without facing horrible demons. Right, and. But it is interesting to think about the idea of and whether it is something like that or it's something like what happened with like Louis C.K. where his actions cost hundreds of people their jobs. Or Roseanne. Yeah, Roseanne. Look yeah. at yeah, look at Roseanne's uh tweets. I mean, not only that, but she tried to hurt Ambien sales. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. Roseanne's, you know, racist tirades on Twitter killed a show that was feeding families. Oh, absolutely. Thousands. Yeah. I mean, it's... Because when you think about it, it's... And we're going off suicide for a second, you know, yeah. the Roseanne thing. Like, when you think about it, like, that show... Because it's not just like, oh, yeah, a couple other actors are on that show. It's like, no. There are everyone from the producer to the director to the key grip to the PAs to the people who work in PR yeah. to the people who work in ad sales to, like, all this stuff is it's just... That it's a company. Yeah, absolutely. It's a company that folds. Absolutely. And so this is something where, like, c- clearly, you know, whatever was going on with him is to lead him to that horrible choice is yeah. not something that we can ever understand. No. And again, I don't. I, I, the last thing I'm trying to say is that I took it personally. Like, right. I understand he was going through. It was more. Well, that's of what like, you told me off air, though. You did say Steve, that a lot. Steve, we're gonna take a break. It's on a poster. Uh, we're gonna take a break. You you wrote a thing. I have it. Done. No. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Dan never said that. No. You know, it's more of a. It just. It just after. You can't again, rely on After it all else. settles, and this was like a year after that happened, where I was just like, the dust settles, and you're just like, yeah, I think I think I need to. What my lesson is taking away from that is that it's time for me to pave my own road. Like, that's what I got to do. And so I started to learn how to write. 
and I started to get into writing and and just trial and error, you know, trying to write TV. Um, and then, in the meantime, uh, I started to, you know, I was still going out on auditions, and my manager was like, I really want you to go on this audition, and you're not going to like it, but I just want you to meet the casting director, Julie Ashton. And I was like, okay, whatever, you know, give it to me, let's see what it is. And uh, I get it, and it was, by the way, I, I'm sorry, in between that, I had done the Montreal Comedy Festival, okay? Yeah. So you go to the Montreal Comedy Festival, I did great, I got the Tonight Show off of that, I met with all the network executives, I'm like, okay, cool, this is it, it's happening, and then I get this audition for this show. And let's find out what it is after this break. What a cliffhanger! <laughs> anyway, uh, of course, back with Dana Dute here. So you, so you book a part. No, or, so I get an oh, audition. No, so you get an audition, and the audition is just to go meet the casting director. That's what my my manager tells me, and uh, he's like, "Just go kick ass, and then you don't have to take this gig, even if you get it. Don't worry about it." It's I'm just like, so that she'll see you and maybe cast you on something else. Exactly, and she's a big time casting director, and who's become a very close friend of mine. But her name is Julie Ashton, and. Uh, I go, I kick ass in the audition, I get along great with her, I get into my car, and my manager's like, congrats, you got the role. Now, the role was for a Disney show. It was for a Disney show, and at that point I saw Disney, I was like, dude, I don't wanna do a Disney show. I'm not, I literally just did a CBS sitcom. I literally yeah. just got on The Tonight Show. I don't wanna do a Disney show. And this wasn't just Disney, it was Disney XD. XD which is like the male skewing, and there was like a new network they were trying out. Uh, and the role was, it was on this show called Kicking It, and the role was called Falafel Phil. Which again, another thing about me, and you know this about me because you knew me back in the day, I never did like, you know, there's a lot of these like theme shows for like comics, like, you know, like uh, the Asians of comedy or like the, right. you know, the camels of comedy. And I was like, I always, I never wanted to do those because I was always like, I'm a comic first and then I'm Iranian second. Like it yeah. doesn't identify my comedy. Like I, I just happen to be Iranian. third. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A seamstress fourth. <laughs> yes. Um... You think I make a better unicorn than a seamstress? <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> At least uh, you care about it more. Yeah, it's true. Um, so anyway, uh, he's like, he te he just texts me, he's like, congratulations, you got the role. I was like, okay, but I'm not taking this role. Like, you know, literally the audition was like, I had to do it in an accent and it was like, um, uh, I run this restaurant and these kids that are the main kids of the show come in and I overhear that they want to start a boy band. And my lines are, oh, you want to start the boy band? In my hometown of Hachmachistan, I had my own band. We were called the Hachmach Boys. Who could forget our hit, Ladies Got the, Babies Got the Noosh? And then I had to do a song that oh. went, Yalla, baby, baby, got the noosh. Oh How standards God. and practices allowed this character is beyond me. That is, I was going to joke that like your character was like light racism. Like that is <laughs> no. It was straight a up racism. bowling ball heavy racism. Yeah. Uh, and um, so anyway, I get it. And he's like, I'm like, well, I'm not going to do it. He's like, no, well, you have to do it or it'll be insulting to Julie. You know, she, she's putting her neck out for you. I'm like, dude, he's like, just do one episode. I'm like, okay. I go, I do the one episode. The producer loves me. He's oh, like, no. oh my God, we're bringing you in. I'm like, I tell my manager, I'm like, dude, I'm not doing this. He's like, no, no we wouldn't be right to the producer. Just do one more episode. Like, they're like, we're spinning you off in your yeah. own series. Kicking I, it with Flawless. Basically, I do the other episode, and then they're like, the network wants you, they love you, and they want you to be on this show. They're like, as it turns out, we are all racist. <laughs> yeah. So, 
<laughs> we need this. So, uh, and then I kind of, you know, he was like, it's, now it's an affront to the network if you don't do it. You don't want to piss off oh. Disney. So long story short, I do this, uh, I do this role for five, four years. It becomes like one of the breakout characters of the show. Oh. Like if you know any kids between the age of like 13 and 19, I'm like, I'm like Ryan Gosling to them. <laughs> <laughs> Just go back in the college circuit now. Yeah, I know. Torres falafel film. Uh, honestly, so I do that, and then I'm kind of drained emotionally because I'm seeing all my friends' careers skyrocket. Especially, you know, my 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 class, my my new faces class at 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 the Montreal Comedy Festival. It was like me, Cristalia, uh, um, Pete Holmes, Kumail Nanjiani. Uh, Rory Scovel, like really, and everyone. Anyone going, we'd have heard of though, <laughs> and everyone is skyrocketing, and I'm just falafel filling, and I was just like, it was probably it was some dark times for me, and yeah. I just didn't see how this was. I was going to turn it around, and I was like, you know, I was I was, I was like going back to like, okay, I need to really try to. I need to try to get my career back, get my house back in order, and do things. I because I basically didn't do what I said I was going to do after the CBS show, which is yeah. I became a cog again in someone else's thing. Not only that, but a cog in a machine you didn't want to be a part exactly. of. Exactly. So then I um, I was like, I told my manager this, he's like, you need to meet, uh, or no, I'm sorry, that's not what happened. I had met, a, I had met a, a, this guy who was running comedy at Fox after the Montreal Comedy Festival. His name was, uh, um, his name was Marcus Wiley. And uh, I I just reached out to him, Hail Mary Pass. I'm like, hey man, I met you at Montreal. Can we talk? And he's like, sure. And I go to his office. And he, at this point, he had his own production company and he was selling shows or he was tr- trying to get shows on the air. So I was like, I want to do a show. I don't really know how. He's like, okay, what are your ideas? And I pitched him like five little one-line ideas that I had. He's like, I don't, I don't really feel it. I'm not feeling it. And I like, I'm like, like slinking back in my chair and he's like hey didn't you do the montreal comedy festival like five years ago i'm like yeah that's like where we met he's like dude you were amazing what happened and i like broke down and i was like falafel phil happened this fucking character it ruined my life it took over my life and he's like whoa whoa calm down (laughs) he's like what do you mean falafel phil happened and i was like is this character? I, I I I somehow got got talked into doing this character. He's like, wait, this is a real thing. I'm like, yeah. He googles falafel Phil, like he sees a clip of it. He's like, dude, this is your show. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you need to make a show about a guy who got derailed. His career got derailed derailed by doing this awful character. And I'm like, how? What do you mean? How do we turn this into a show? He's like, we're gonna come up with a pitch together and we're gonna sell this idea. I'm like, you can sell an idea without having the script. He's like, yeah, that's like what I do. I didn't even know that this thing existed at this point. That you could sell a show based on a pitch. Yeah. And you can sell a show based on a pitch and make over a hundred thousand dollars. Like you can make good money. And I, I had no idea this was a thing. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm down. And we like sat in the trenches. He taught me how to pitch. He taught me how to write characters. He taught me how to do this and that. And we go into Fox and sell the show in the room. And I was like, oh my god, I did not even know this was a thing. And now I'm like, this might be my new career. Long story short, because of Falafel Phil, it's become my career now is selling TV shows. And I just told you before getting on the air, yeah. I just set up a show at Warner Brothers. I set up, set up a show at Lionsgate. Uh, and I've sold probably seven shows up until then and, and written scripts and 
through doing that, I've met like a lot like network executives and like I'm basically in the place that I wanted to be after that failed CBS show, which is like I'm finally creating my own shows where my own suicide is the only thing that could take it down. Oh my god. That is Yeah. That's insane. It's insanity. That yeah, that you're basically like this I mean, it's really what this podcast is about. It's funny, the show about having to recover from this character. It's kind of the essence of this podcast in yeah, a way. Absolutely. And and it's funny because that show at Fox was called Dandy Railed, and I just sold this show to Warner Brothers, which is also happens to do with Falafel Phil. So again, it's this thing of like, you know, I don't believe in like you gotta just put positivity out into the universe and the universe brings it back to you. I don't think so, but I think seeing the positive in everything and having a positive outlook will eventually make these things turn around. Like that relationship with Julie Ashton, the character, the casting director for kicking it. I maintain a great relationship with her. And then she ended up casting a show called bajillion dollar properties. And she brought me in and cast me in that show. And, uh, it, it, again, one of my favorite acting roles I've ever done. Yeah. And, and like, you guys just got a new season, right? Yeah. We just got a new season. Yeah. And then like, um, you know, again, all these the the relationships that I made on that CBS show on Friend Me, some of the writers on that show have become mentors to me, and they help me with my writing, and they help me with my pitches and stuff like that. Um, so I think even if even in the darkest, and even the writers from Kicking It, and the creators of Kicking It, and like the people who worked at Disney have moved to other places that I've pitched to them. Like, sorry for calling you guys racist. <laughs> yeah, you guys are great. Um, but uh, yeah, I just think, you know, look. I don't think that I have the type of career. I'm not like one of the cool comics. I've never have been in that like cool club, you know. You That's know why what I mean? we're friends. Yeah, I don't think you. I I think I'm you and I not. have had to basically scrap and survive and do what we can to scratch our way to the top. And frankly, like I think that you know, I, I had such a moment of like having one of those cool comics. I'm not going to name names, but like he ended up calling me because his agent told him and we have the same agent and he told him about like what I do and how I do it and he was like pleading with me to like give him advice and I was like oh my god <laughs> yeah like I've made it <laughs> that's great <laughs> oh off air I want that name yeah um <laughs> yeah but that is I mean the like the lesson here and it's as as macabre as us joking around before was the lesson really is, is that the only way to truly be in charge is to be in charge. Oh yeah. And like I was, I was EVP of film and TV at the Laugh Factory and it was wonderful, but I had ideas for projects that got shot down by other people. And so when the opportunity to run Comedy Juice came up, that's why I took it. Yeah. The main reason I took it is so that I would be the decision maker. Yeah, I mean. And I can, I can fail or succeed by my own hand. It's literally the only reason we got into this career stand-up is so that I don't have to answer to anyone. I can go on stage, I can say what I want, and no one can tell me what to do. And then for some reason, when we get into careers, we forget that. And we're like, I'm at the mer I'll am at i be at the mercy of everyone. And I think it's just like kind of getting back into that, like why we got into this career. And it's like, because I want people to hear me and hear my voice and hear what I have to say unfiltered. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think... Uh, you know, just taking that taking that mentality and bringing it to the writing or creating and stuff is very hard to do, and most comics don't do it. And I think that you know, I commend you because you do it more than anyone that I know. Thank you. 
and which is why I, you know I call you for advice like once every six months about like I want to try I call you for advice once every six months and to your credit you show me you show me everything you show me all the ropes and I think part of the reason why you do that is because and I think the lesson that I learned in that is I realize how hard what you're doing is and then I'm like, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> so <laughs> That's you're, not why I so do I it. So I don't think, I, I know you do it because you're a great friend, but I also <laughs> think that like once you pull back the curtain of like your operation and I see how insane it is, I'm like, oh, okay. That's why I need to hire someone to like kind of help me do this stuff because for me to do, you know, it's like you're running a TV network. You're running your own TV Pretty network. So, and it's insane. Someone asked me, uh, someone recently, and a friend of mine, a comic, asked me if like I knew of like uh you know a place that gives out like grants for startup projects and i was like no you're asking me if i know of a place that gives you free money to pursue your dream no i don't <laughs> right i don't right that doesn't that's a thing that do you know i mean you're it's more likely that dan is a unicorn <laughs> right yeah <laughs> absolutely existing absolutely because like it's a great thought and yeah, and I'm sure there are artist grants out there. I'm not saying that that doesn't completely exist, but at the same time, every time I've ever seen like a contest for something where it's like, yeah, I've got a good business idea, and oh, here's a business startup contest, and it's like, okay, great, and they want you to write a hundred-page document, yeah, you know, filtering all, you know, all these things. It's like, oh, that's why these are so hard to win. Yeah. Um, but I think that again with you, if I may, if I may turn the mic on you for a little, sure. like, the thing that's inspiring to me about the way that you do your career is that I think my fatal flaw is I need to get paid for stuff. Okay, like a lot of times, like if I'm, I it's hard for me to just sit down and write, a, you know, a, a thirty-page script or a screenplay if I don't have a deal set somewhere where like a production company is paying me or something like that. I feel like you will throw shit on the wall and at a, I'm imagining a legitimate financial cost to see if it's going to work. Yeah. And a lot of times it doesn't work. And like, you're probably, you're so good at like, at taking your money, putting your money where your mouth is in essence. And I say that as a retort to the, does anyone know where I can get a grant? Because you give yourself grants basically. Yeah. And you try these things and like when they hit, they hit hard. And again, it's like, I look, I, you and I are not the funniest comedians in the world, but I think that we are amongst the hardest working. And I think because of that, like, I, I think because of that, we do well. You know what I mean? And I think that takes some self-awareness. On my part, like, I just know, like, I'm never going to be the, the guy who gets, uh, you know, asked to, like... Uh, I'm not going to be, like, a Louis C.K. type. Like, it's just not in my cards. Previous to... Oh, yeah. no, yeah. No, I will be the Me Too Louis C.K. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, you will not. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You're perfectly respectful. No, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm never going to be Bill Burr. I'm never going to be, you know, these guys that, that we kind of look up to. But but I do... But then, you will be able to cast him in something. Yes, exactly. And I do figure out, okay, my strengths are elsewhere. And, like, my new project, which I'd love to talk about, yeah. is, like... I love food more than anyone that I know. And so I started a food podcast and no one wanted to, basically it was one of those things where no one wanted to sign on to it because no one's really done comedy and food in a podcast. So all these podcast networks were like, no, we're not going to do it. And I basically went about and did it myself. I found a network that was like small and scrappy, but like we basically did it together. And 
I'm bringing on friends and guests and we just talk about food because I don't care about people's careers as much. I mean, I do, but like, yeah. I feel like I like my real passion is food. And I think within the food space, I am the funniest comedian <laughs> or I can be the funniest comedian. And yeah. I think that's so what I try to do with baseball. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's so important, though, is having that self-awareness of like, I'm not going to be the funniest comedian, but I can be the funniest comedian in my space. Yeah. And I think... Uh, letting go of that dream is like tough for us to do in a way but like also when we find our lane like there's nothing more pleasurable than have having the confidence that like i know that i can talk to a michelin starred chef and go toe to toe because i know about restaurant minutia and i know all about this stuff it's like my passion uh and i can do that better than bill burke <laughs> can we plug it yes it's called green eggs and dan um and uh the first season is great. I have 12 uh, amazing guests. The first two episodes are out. Hassan Minaj is the first. Michelle Buteau is the second. We have Paul Rust, the Sklar brothers, uh, um, Scott Ackerman and Kulap Valaisik. And then we got out of comedy. I got an NPR. One of my buddies is a very famous uh, NPR reporter, Matt Katz, uh, and um, Ignacio Matos is Esquire's chef of the year last year. It's a great food podcast because it's not a lame food podcast about like, mm, what yeah, do you, you go through about? people's fridges, right? Yeah, we go through people's fridges. There's an actual picture of their fridge that I post and they don't know that I'm going to post it, which is really fun. It's very fun and invasive. And then, uh, you know, just get it just goes into an organic conversation about food, which is all I really care about in life. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, look, I think if there's one thing to take away from this or whatever, it's uh, it would be. Try to find the positive in everything, um, no matter how shitty it seems. Uh, keep relationships and keep keep up on them. I spend probably $5,000 a year on gifts to people. Not gifts, gifts. <laughs> uh, you know, Christmas presents and whatnot, and that shit pays off, man. It really does. That's great. And then uh, the third thing would be find your lane. And a lot of times your lane might not be what you think your dream is. Like... Uh, but if you figure out what your strengths are and being the best in that particular lane rather than being the best in the world, a lot of times is way more, it makes you way more successful and also way more realistic and way more uh, um, pleasurable. And uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, gratifying. Well, if there's one thing, there are those three things. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it's true. And and don't forget the last, which is, you know, if you can create your own things, no one can stop. No yeah, one can stop you. Absolutely. Um, Dan, I very much appreciate you coming on. Obviously, I want everybody to check out your podcast, Green Eggs and Dan. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, plug your social media. At Stand Up Dan is the Twitter and the Instagram. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you for having me again. One, you, you to me are one of the more inspiring uh, comics that I'm friends with, and one of the only comics that I'm friends with. <laughs> so, <laughs> I appreciate that, uh, and so, yeah. yeah, and my I'm on the road so much, my fridge would be empty. <laughs> so <laughs> no worries. Uh, thanks for doing the show. Of course, thank you. Mm -hmm.